Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully you guys are getting ready for the weekend, getting ready to watch the Italian Open and already watching the Italian Open, as well as the sub- subsequent matches that are about to happen or, or are going to happen over the weekend. There's a little bit of tennis topics and just... Uh, Culture, cultural topics that we can get into for today. We can obviously discuss Djokovic and Fritz, Fritz that happened yesterday and uh, how Djokovic was mad about uh, what happened. Also, we can discuss, uh, in more briefly, uh, sort of discuss or debate uh, why Nadal is still the favorite to win the French Open and uh, the competition that may uh, arrive with Nadal as he reaches, or as the tennis season reaches Roland Garros. We can also discuss uh, the upcoming upcoming match of John Exeter and Rafa Nadal, and in terms of cultural topics, we can discuss Tony Hinchcliffe's stand-up set as well as John Mulaney and the recent news about him. But I think where we're going to start off for today is going to be on uh, Camilla Georgie's dad and what happened on Monday regarding uh, his overall antics in terms of the umpire and just the overall uh contrast between uh uh between georgie's dad and just georgie so if you guys don't know soribe's torno i think her name is tormo i think soribe's tormo defeated camilla georgie 7-6 7-4 was the tie-breaking set uh 6-7 7-9 was the tie-breaking set 7-5 so she won in three sets uh really valiant effort by soribe's tormo uh, and basically what happened was that uh, Camilla Georgie's dad uh, was very irate and pissed off at the umpire for not having certain calls go uh, Camilla Georgie's way. And as a result, it created, uh, it essentially led the umpire to call for backup and security uh, because of what happened and what transpired. And, you know, she was like mumbling to like her walkie talkie saying like, oh, I'm very scared. Uh, the umpire was a woman, by the way. Uh, and I, I got this tweet from Ben Rothenberg, who I refer to as Tennis TMZ because he just he's just that uh, interesting. He, and he brings the spicy news uh, into uh, the forefront of tennis. But uh, he basically uh, quote tweeted what happened, uh, which uh, originally the tweet was from Lorena Popa. Uh, and Lorena Popa said, oh my God, the umpire asked for someone to be around her because she's afraid of Georgie's father because he's mad. This is insane. And Ben Rothenberg, Tennis TMZ, as I like to call him, uh, nastiness and aggression towards officials is worryingly on the rise in tennis. There has been several threats made against umpires recently by ATP players Zipari, Dizumhur, and now whatever is happening here with Sergio Georgie to make this WTA umpire unsafe. And, you know, my reaction to Camilla Georgie's dad or Sergio Georgie uh, doing this and just the overall prevalence of what's happening with the sport when it comes to people mad at the umpires for certain calls not going their way or just their overall attitude on the court is that I don't think this is good for the sport of tennis, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Whenever you have a hothead, a fiery head in the sport of tennis, 
it gets people talking and it gets people discussing about it and that that's great you know i mean it, it happened with john McEnroe. it's currently happening or it happened five years ago three years ago with kirgios it's now happening with lower level players it gets people talking but it gets it's going to elicit hatred from a certain amount of group of people that may not support it and may not value it right it worked for john McEnroe because he's an american and back then american players in america were actually seen as heroes regardless of their style of play or regardless of how they may view other people on court or how they may treat umpires for kyrgios it worked out because he was able to market himself and brand himself as a player that uh was you know this sort of enigmatic person this sort of cult of personality individual but when it comes to um uh tennis players who many people haven't heard of such as dezumhur or zaperi or even camilla georgie's father who is her coach it doesn't work out it, it really doesn't work out because nobody knows who you are and more importantly at this point in time people when people watch a person making millions and millions of dollars playing a sport they don't want that individual making a mockery out of it and more importantly not taking it seriously and this is what i what i what what you know i sort of value is having individuals during this time where you know unemployment is at an all-time high where a lot of people are still in lockdown where you actually view the sport and you know treat it with courtesy and treat it with respect and treat the people that are around the sport uh with the just amount of with the same amount of respect that you may give your tennis player or to you know your fellow uh you know people within your circle and you know i mean listen whenever i see things like this happen i think there should be a fines attached to anybody who exceeds their dislike for a specific call you know, whether it goes their way or not, or whether, you know, it, it's about the weather conditions in the sport, I think there should be certain fines and there should be heavy pay that should be dealt with when it comes to these certain issues. Now, I don't know if, you know, th these fines or whatnot go to charity, so it, it could be tax de deductible, I'm not so sure. Uh, but yeah, there should be fines and heavy fines when it comes to uh, anybody who elicits that kind of behavior on the court. You know, I mean, and not to like shy too much away of the topic, but I mean, I think, you know, when you look at like people who are like the biggest wasted talents, and this is when I sound like I'm hating, which I'm not, uh, I'm not hating whatsoever. But when I look at individuals who uh, have sort of wasted it all, I mean, who wasted it more in terms of the WTA circuit than Camilla Georgie? I mean, I think she might be the biggest, one of the biggest busts in the WTA. She had so much talent, you know, so much ways to sort of market herself and whatnot. And she ultimately threw, threw it all away because of coaching and, you know, not succeeding at that high a level. You know, I mean... Again, not not shying away from the topic here, but I think tennis players need to stop having their parents as their coaches. You know, it may work out in the beginning, but it definitely and more most importantly does sour in the end. And you know, 
Camilla Georgie is one example. I think Sonia Kennan is another. I think she just let go of her father slash coach, Alex Cannon, or coach, I should say. She, I, last time I checked, Alex Cannon still her father. But uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think tennis coaches need to be changed down in the, and, and again, you know. I remember Rafa Nadal changed his coach, I think around like 2015, 2016, and it made all of the difference in the world, you know. I think his dad was once his coach, and now it's somebody else. And, you know, that really matters because you get a different perspective, you get different playing styles, different co- uh, coaching and tips. And overall, it just makes a better player. Uh, so I think that should be Camilla Georgie's uh, to-do list is to get another person to coach her uh, besides her father. Uh, again, you know, not saying anything bad about her father. I'm just saying that there should be a change uh, within that system, within that role. And hopefully we're able to see Camilla Georgie uh, succeed because if not, then man, uh, it's not going to look good for her uh, in the future when it comes to what could have been, you know. So anyways, uh, that's my uh, spiel on Camilla Georgie and, you know, certain things that I discussed about this particular instance, I'm going to like discuss again with the next topic. So uh, Novak Djokovic uh, played against Taylor Fritz, American, uh, and Djokovic won, obviously, in straight sets, 6-3, 7-6, and 7-5 was a tie-breaking set. And I was very interested in watching the match because during that second set, there was a rain that occurred, and I think it was around like seven, no, not not seven, uh, five three, I think five two five three, and there was a rain heavy torrential downpour, um, and Djokovic was visibly upset at the umpire, you know, very upset, extremely upset, uh, when the rain was going down. And while I understand where Djokovic was coming from, you know, I, I, again, you know, I don't think playing with torrential downpour uh, on a clay core or on, or on any court for that matter is good, you know, because it creates injuries and whatnot. And, you know, it, what can happen within that 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes can change the overall uh, tournament at large. So I'm not in favor of like, players playing in that difficult of a situation but again like him yelling at the umpire being visibly upset i don't think that's good for the sport again you know when you have the best player on the circuit complaining that's not a good look and you know again it's going to get eyeballs it's going to get people talking about it you know as i've discussed uh previously with uh, georgie's uh, father and last podcast as well if you haven't check it, checked it out go watch a tidal wave episode 38 Ajay Tucker podcast on youtube go check it out but again you know while it may get eyeballs you're going to have a lot of hatred spewed onto you and it's not going to be good now granted Djokovic went to the empire and apologized which I think that's very good on Djokovic to do but again it's you should not be yelling on a tennis court like you should not be doing that you know if you want people to like you and support you and sort of popularize your uh, your character and who you are as a person yelling at somebody is not a good look and it's not going to go your way so i mean listen i want to say this the audience at grand slams do not like joker for some inexplicable reason they just don't like joker so having said that 
how do you think they'll view this? Do you think they'll support you in your endeavor to just yell and constantly complain to the referee or to the umpire, I should say? No, it's not going to go your way. So just, again, like, be calm, cool, and collective like you are when you're serving and or when you are throughout the duration of your tennis match. And don't get mad at the umpire. It, this is not a good look. This There's this growing trend, as Ben Rothenberg was saying, Tennis TMZ was saying, and yeah, it should not be happening. It's not good, you know? I mean, the listen, again, he apologized, which is fine. I, I support that. But again, the optics of it is not good, especially when you're playing against somebody, you know, that's not even at the final or at the semifinal. You know, I mean, if it's at the final or semifinal, I'll sort of give you a biscuit because, like, I can understand the severity of it. But again, when you're playing, you know, at a lower round, it, it's not good. You know, it, it really, that's some innocuous tournament that, you know, has no bearing in terms of your career. It's not a good look. It really isn't. But anyways, uh, let me, like, sort of discuss the tennis match in and of itself. So, I mean, obviously, Djokovic won against Fritz. You know, Djokovic won uh, against Fritz 6-3-7-6. Uh, 7-5 was a tie-breaking set. And that first set, um, it was good. You know, I mean, Djokovic easily won that. You know, there were certain times where... Fritz, you know, sort of got like an, like an advantage, but other than that, um, you could easily tell Djokovic was, was going to win that uh, first first set, and it definitely went his way. He was very good when it came to uh, controlling his own tempo and pace and, you know, sort of bringing it down to his level. Also, for uh, making sure that Fritz had some unforced errors, and uh, that first set was more of a Fritz loss than it was a Djokovic win. But, you know, Djokovic was able to uh, succeed in that second set, even though he was losing uh, when it came to uh, that later half of that second set, especially when the rain was starting to pour down. Uh, it was like 5-3. Somehow, Taylor Fritz tied it up at 5 apiece. Um, you know, went 6 all, And then all of a sudden, uh, Djokovic, just by the hair of his teeth, really got through that tiebreaker. Um, so, I mean... You know, I mean, it was a very uh, good effort by Djokovic. And, um, you know, I'm happy to see uh, Djokovic progress and move on. And hopefully we're able to see... I'm not so sure what rank Nadal is. I think he's number two. He, I think he is. Don't quote me on that. But if Djokovic and Nadal are in different brackets, then definitely I do think uh, Djokovic-Nadal final could be happening at the Italian Open, uh, which could be quite interesting to watch um but yeah overall i did not support um djokovic uh doing that uh i, I thought that was really bad on his part and um yeah I, I hopefully he's able to correct himself uh as the as the days go by you know as the months go by because uh i i do think this may be this has the potential to be the story out of the Italian Open. I mean, I really do. It's it's not good. It's not good for the sport of tennis. It really isn't. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's get into what I actually wanted to get into, the meat and potatoes of this pod episode, uh, Rafa Nadal. And 
why I believe Rafa Nadal has a lot of competition still within the Italian Open and within the French Open as well. Uh, so, as you can expect, Nadal is going to be a competitor for not only this Italian Open, but for also Roland Garros. And he is the king of clay for a reason, you know. He really is. He's one of the best to ever do it in terms of not only tennis in general, but also uh, on the clay season as well. Um, but I do think that there is competition for Rafa Nadal for this Roland Garros and just for the Talent Open uh, more specifically. You know, when you have individuals such as Stefano Sistapas, you know, Novak Djokovic, even though he's only won one French Open title, Alexander Sasha Zverev, you know, these are comp- these are players that can offer parity within the ATP clay season and can offer competition for Rafa Nadal as he progresses onto Roland Garros, right? And Stefano Sistapas, you know, had this unbelievable showing at Monte Carlo. I mean, he played some of his best tennis of this year at Monte Carlo and obviously lost to Nadal at Barcelona, but still, he still won against Rublev at that Monte Carlo final and actually gave a really strong effort at the Barcelona Open. And he actually took it to three sets against Nadal. So that's very great for Stefano Tsitsipas. For Sasha Zverev, by the way, you know, he didn't lose the set in the Madrid Open until that final, you know, until that final against Berrettini and actually won the title for that matter. So again, you know, you're seeing these two younger players that are really succeeding at that high of a level and really doing and orchestrating it at, at that high of a pace where it can actually offer intimidation for other individuals that have been uh, in the thick of it for that uh, time now. You know, I mean, Nadal, as I said before, uh, is on his 14th French Open title and or has the ability to win his 14th French Open title. And man is destined to thrive at the Italian Open and he may beat Sinner, Jonic Sinner today. I've heard Rafa Nadal say some good things about Jonic Sinner, uh, but overall, the man has just what it, has what it takes to really succeed and thrive at Roland Garros. And there was this really great quote by Rafa Nadal uh, that I really want to share with you guys uh, because it just sort of sort of goes with that mindset of Rafa Nadal uh, and what he believes can or what he believes in, ter- in terms of a very stoic, very a very stoic way of thinking. Where he said, "What happened in Monte Carlo happened. What happened in Barcelona happened. What happened in Madrid happened." And that was about Nadal a day or two days ago, and I really value it because it really shows the overall thought process that Nadal has, and just how he tackles certain tournaments. And I think he's going to show he's going to bring and showcase his A game not only in the Talent Open but also. With Roland Garros as well, and we're going to see a different side of Nadal that we haven't seen before because of the competition uh, that will be around him once this Grand Slam shows up. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen, and uh, you know, hopefully, this can just bring more and more uh, competition and a lot more. Uh, interesting, better play when it comes to the clay season or when it comes to Roland Garros. Usually during this time, like it's usually like uh, Rafa Nadal is going to be a winner, you know. But I mean, I mean, 
At the same time, you know, there are individuals that are just as hungry. You know, I mean, Sasha Zverev has not won a major yet. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas has not won a major yet. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how hungry they are for that spotlight, for that limelight, and to really win the title and take it away from Nadal, you know. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Nadal Djokovic for the title anymore. Like, maybe at one point early on in the season, I sort of believe that. Especially after Roland Garros, after last year, I'm like, okay, definitely it's going to be Nadal Djokovic this year, or next year, next year being this year, but... I mean, I don't think you you can really say that anymore. I mean, I think it, the the times have changed, and now more than ever, uh, there are individuals that are willing to go the distance and uh, find ways to really, you know, knock off the king of clay. You know, I mean, I mean, how how great? I mean. I think when we discuss Nadal and when we discuss the competition at large and other players for large, I think what, what we need to value is that, or what we need to cherish is that runs like this will never happen again. You know, like, I think what's important is that we at least, like, cherish Nadal for just how much he's meant for the sport of tennis. And, you know, again, like, cherish this because you're not going to see this ever again, you know. So really value this and uh, really understand how much he sacrificed for the sport of tennis for the better for the betterment of the sport for how much he sort of popularized it into the global sphere uh maybe not so much in america but you know in terms of a global dominance in terms of a european presence more specifically a a, a, a spaniard uh, audience i think uh what he's meant is just amazing you know what what he's meant for that specific uh, audience, I mean, it can be replicated by anybody, you know. And I say, and you know, when I say American audience, obviously there are Americans that love Rafa Nadal, but I mean, uh, in terms of like, I mean, I would say American presence as well. Scratch that, what I said before. I think he's meant a lot for an American presence as well, and uh, that's just great to see and great to, uh, great to cherish, you know, because. Again, you know, it, things like this doesn't don't often happen or don't always happen. So, yeah. You know, I mean, in terms of like an American presence, I think if I had to la- like list the overall American presence, like four out of the big four, out of like out of individuals that I believe, uh, you know, sort of had the most amount of influence in terms of american culture i would definitely say federer number one nadal number two andy murray number three and djokovic number four i know it seems like i'm hating on djokovic which i'm not i i value him i I think he's a great player one of the best to ever do it if not the best uh but yeah i i'll say andy murray is above djokovic for 2013 wimbledon final and just how much that meant to me because that's what sparked me into watching the sport of tennis i mean obviously i started watching it with the 2008 wimbledon final uh, but that 2013 wimbledon final was the main catalyst that drew me into the sport of tennis and why i'm talking about tennis today you know um and obviously you know what that meant for not only britain 77 years since a british since a brit won Wimbledon, but also for America in terms of 
seeing the overall reactions across the pond to that accomplishment. Uh, I don't think that can ever be replicated. And Andy Murray does have a, a lot of people uh, within America that value him and, and support him. Uh, I know it may not seem like that in terms of uh, when, when people talk about tennis, you know, they often talk about Nadal and Federer, uh, but Andy Murray, in my opinion, is one of the more important uh, individuals within tennis. He really is. Anyways, um, so obviously, uh, plowing ahead, as the great Bill Burr would say, uh, John Alexander and Rafa Nadal are playing today um, at around like 12 p.m. I'm, say, I'm, I'm assuming because they want to, they want it to be prime time. They want to see the best right now on clay versus a future tennis prodigy. And they really wanted that to make it prime time. So I'm assuming it's going to be 12 p.m. Uh, it's technically Wednesday when I'm filming. So obviously we're going to hear this podcast on Thursday, but, uh, I can't wait for it. I really can't. Uh, you know, it's, Again, it's one of the best to ever do it on clay versus Yannick Sinner, and I think that's great. Uh, I'm very much excited and very much interested in watching this, uh, and I'm, I'm very much excited to see uh, how Yannick Sinner will approach this because while he has been great, uh, he hasn't really, and this is for good reason as well, he hasn't succeeded against the big three because the big three, is there's a vast degree of separation between the big three versus those two are inexperienced but are on the come up are on the come up i should say and you know when you see johnick center uh really succeeding whether it's uh barcelona or monte carlo or even let's say doha dubai i mean his overall year has been tremendous and i'm really excited to see how he will take this upcoming match against Rafa Nadal, a man who has been exceptionally well, has has done an exceptionally extraordinary job in terms of uh, in terms of just tennis in general. You know, I mean, and not only this clay season, he won Barcelona, Barcelona, but also just uh, just what he's meant for tennis as well. As I've previously previously said with the last topic, you know. It's going to be interesting. I'm very much inter- interested in watching it. I think Nadal has said some great things about uh, John Center. He said some things, I think, during Dubai, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe the Miami Open, uh, where he's just, you know, praising and lauding John Center as, like, the future great. And uh, that's awesome to see. That's awesome to uh, hear. And uh, here's to hoping that uh, it, they can have a great match. You know, I think this will be the match... Uh, that people will be looking back on five years from now, ten years from now, and saying, wow, this was the match that really showcased and elevated both of these players, you know. It may not be 2008 Wimbledon final, and I don't believe that's the case whatsoever, but it could be that match where we can look back on and say, man, this sort of highlighted the strengths of both tennis players to a degree that we've never seen before. And, you know, I'm very much excited to see what's going to happen with this match. I'm very much, I'm very excited to see how Jonathan will handle Rafa's forehands, especially those banana shots. You know, how will he be able to sort of counteract that? You know, how, what will his energy be once he has a banana shot that doesn't go his way? You know, I mean, 
what will happen when John Oxenor, you know, has a ground stroke that doesn't go over the net. You know, how will he be able to handle that emotionally? And all of that will be in play when it comes to uh, John Oxenor's overall mental and physical approach to this matchup. So, yeah, that's just overall my uh, opinions on that match. And, um, you know, again, there's a lot to learn. A lot to learn for both tennis players. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm not so sure what's left in Rafa Nadal's bracket. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, so sure. Um, but, yeah, this could be one of his most important and probably his most fiercest competition yet in terms of this uh, Open so far. So, And I do think that if Rafa Nadal advances, this will be the match that sort of ignited a spark within him to uh, be that much more better and to actually succeed and win uh, this Italian Open. So yeah, uh, that's sort of what I think uh, is going to be happening with the match. Anyways. <clears throat> okay. Um, so let's talk about 8, 16, 24, 32. Okay, I'm a little bit ahead of schedule here, but okay. Um, okay, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, okay? Let's talk about more of a cultural, comedic event that happened and unfolded in the past 24 hours. Uh, so Tony Hinchcliffe had a set in Austin. He followed, or he, he followed somebody, and he sort of went on this... Uh, he had this joke uh, that did not translate well uh, whatsoever uh, in real time. He actually bombed in real time. And, um, yeah, uh, the Twitter ate him up for it. So, apparently, Peng Dang, at uh, Peng Dang Comedy, tweeted out, Last week in Austin, I got to bring up Tony Hinchcliffe. This is what he said, Happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. A-A-P-I. Um I don't know if I'm included in Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Like, am I technically, like, included in that? Because, like, I, I'm technically Asian, right? Like, I'm technically an Asian dude. So, like, am I included in Asian American Pacific Islander Month? <laughs> am I? I mean, there's. I don't think there's any Indian month, you know? But I don't want to take May. Like, if, I, if there's going to be Indian Month, it has to be, like... July, you know, I want July to be Indian month because July is like one of the hottest months of the year. And uh, yeah, so and plus July is just like the best month in terms of summer. It, it truly is. By August, you're like, okay, I got to like ease it down a little bit. Got to get ready uh, for like work and school uh, life. But July is the best because you're just like all gung ho about like having the best month ever. And in- Indian should make make July Indian month, you know, but anyways, anyways, going back to the topic, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, uh, followed Peng Dang, Peng Dang introduced him, Tony Hinchcliffe was like, came up and, you know, he sort of got his applause because, you know, he's a LA transplant going to Austin, so obviously they want to sort of ingratiate him to the city, and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he went up and he was like, he sort of like mocked him and like sort of had this sort of fight, fake Asian accent as well. 
and uh yeah it was a it was a weird thing to witness but uh as a result kill tony shows are canceled i think a show at antones i think that's the name antones has been canceled and apparently his agency dropped him uh like earlier today if i'm not mistaken uh hopefully i'm wrong because i just don't want comedians to be dropped by their agency uh but yeah uh that's what happened tony hinchcliffe said some uh had said certain things in an asian accent uh, that got Twitter talking about it and lit his ass on fire because of it. And um, this is just my overall opinion on what happened. Um, I find it kind of hilarious that a man who made his career trashing open micers is now getting people tra- is now having people trash on him. I think it's hilarious to see. Like, I really do. I think it's hilarious to see, like, a dude who spent 10 years making a living, by the way, trashing open micers for one minute of material, then getting mad because people are judging him based off one minute of material. It's kind of hilarious if you really think about it. Uh, Now, having said that, am I in favor of canceling comedians? No, I think it's dumb. I think it's dumb I, I, I'm never in favor of canceling comedians because it is an art form, as cringy as it may sound, I, it is an art form, and if Quentin Tarantino can, you know, make the most grotesque art possible, which I support, by the way, I actually like Quentin Tarantino films, but if he can make art like that, then Tony Hinchcliffe can make art such as that, even if I may uh, think it's, you know, maybe not that funny. <laughs> If I was in that position, I would have made it way more funnier, way more classy, way more refined, and overall way more potent that it actually makes people sort of rethink their preconceived notions on that particular premise. Because I'm just that much better of a comedian compared to Tony Hinchcliffe. You know, I'm I'm that great of a comedian, even though I only did stand-up comedy as of this moment, like, two or three times, I'm that much more better than Tony Hinchcliffe. But uh, anyways... Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been a, uh, I'll, I will be honest with you. I'll give Tony Hinchcliffe the benefit of the doubt for this instance, for this specific instance, because it's been a year since standup has been last done and obviously they're testing it out. You know, they're throwing things on the wall, seeing what sticks and, you know, if certain jo- jokes don't go well, I think. It sort of dis, uh, displays the inexperiencedness of comedians who have who haven't had a year to really test out their material. So I'll I'll give him the benefit for the doubt on that, and you know it all harkens back to me being a free speech purist. You know I am a free speech purist. You know I I think people have the right to make jokes even if they fail spectacularly. I think people have the right uh, to. Uh, sort of go out there balls to the wall and you know really try and go for it you know even if it may be insensitive to some I still believe that you should at least give people the ability to try and to really work and test out their material and you know again you know the people who are for the cancellation of Tony Hinchcliffe because I see a lot of people getting mad at him uh, on Twitter or just and again, I'm not the biggest fan of Twitter whatsoever. I think it's one of the most it's the punitive of the social media platforms. It's the most detrimental to any semblance of social cohesion whatsoever. Um, but th- for the people that are in favor of canceling Tony Hinchcliffe, 
I think you are vastly underestimating the power of social media and how much influence Joe Rogan has on comedy. Like he's not going he's only going to get stronger because of this, right? He's not a part of the industry. He doesn't have any television shows. He doesn't again, he doesn't uh, need, you know, the LA infrastructure infrastructure for him to succeed. As long as he has Rogan, he's going to succeed. You know, so and he's guaranteed spots for life. Uh, at Rogan's Comedy Club, you know, he'll get more views of this on his podcast on Kill Tony because of this, you know, it's only going to exacerbate individuals to actually watch him perform. And because of this incident, you know, and, you know, I think that because of the fact that he is buddies with uh, Rogan, it's only going to help him in the long run, you know, and as long as he's able to be with Rogan, then I think he's going to succeed. Um, So yeah, that's what I believe will happen with Tony Hinchliffe, you know, he's going to get, you know, sort of chastised by his LA comedy circle friends from back home, they'll sort of, you know, sort of frown down on him. But I think Tony Hinchcliffe, as long as again, as as long as he has Rogan with him, I think he's going to be successful, and have some form of an audience gravitated to him. You know, so. So that's me defending Tony Hinchcliffe. Anyways, uh, that's my opinion on what's going to happen with Tony Hinchcliffe. And uh, let's get into uh, John Mulaney. So there's a lot of news with comedians uh, that happened recently. So recently, uh, John Mulaney announced his shows uh, at a Cine winery because, yeah, well, let's start from the beginning. So John Mulaney announced his divorce from his wife. So that's obvious, that obviously stinks. Uh, he was admitted to rehab in January, took some time off, came back, now has shows at the City Winery. Uh, and it's kind of weird how like a person that would be in rehab for drug and alcohol issues is now doing shows at a winery. I find that kind of weird. But, you know, he now has shows at the City Winery, so he, he's doing well now. And he announced shows and he's doing shows currently for this next week or so. He's doing like a residency, if I'm not mistaken. And he announced his divorce from his wife, so that obviously stinks. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to say, well, um, I want to send my best wishes, my best regards to John Mulaney during this time. You know, obviously, stinks to go through a divorce. I think they were married for like seven years or so. They married in 2014, divorced as of this year. Um, you know, I, it, it really stinks for him. But, you know, I think, I think this will only be a not a net positive for Mulaney. You know, I, I kind of like where Mulaney is going with his life because I think this will endear himself to an audience that sort of was out of it. You know, an audience that sort of viewed him as like this individual that hasn't been through enough in his life, that hasn't been enough, through enough struggle or enough problems in his life. And I think this will endear himself to an audience that sort of had this wrong notion on Mulaney. You know, and it sort of goes to show, and not to like sort of deviate or sort of go away from this topic, but it sort of goes to show like just how much the mental, emotional, and physical toll this pandemic has been for individuals, right? Obviously, you know, people were in support of the lockdowns uh, for health reasons, but I don't think they understood the emotional impact of this, whether it was through mental illness or whether it was through drug addiction specifically through opioid abuse or you know through alcoholism 
you know, I don't think people really understand the cascading effect of the lockdowns on working class individuals and for everybody at large. I, I don't believe people I don't th- believe people in power realize how ubiquitous this pandemic has been for individuals when it comes to a mental health perspective in terms of a drug addiction perspective. And I do think uh, there should be more discussion about that. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I believe we should open everything back up to what we were pre-pandemic because of the toll that this pandemic and this lockdown has been for individuals. But anyways, uh, going back to this uh, news on John Mulaney, um, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of stand-up comedy rumors, man. There's been a lot of news happening around the stand-up comedy circuit. It's back, baby. Uh, Stand-up comedy is back. You know, once we're not talking about the jokes in it of itself and talking more about, like, personas in general or, like, going back to canceling people, stand-up is back. You know, it's back. We're back. I would way more... I would much rather have people trying to fake cancel people on Twitter as opposed to, like, a, a, a pandemic where people aren't able to make money. You know, like, I would much rather have the former than the latter. I'm not saying the former is good at any stretch of the imagination, but I would much rather have that problem than the latter, you know? So, I mean, it's great to see comedy back in the, in the forefront, man. It's really good to see it back. But this Mulaney Hinchcliffe news, it's like, it's like day and night, you know? like It's like two individuals who had totally different upbringings having news circulated about them. You know, like Hinchcliffe, Tony Hinchcliffe grew up with like a single mother. Uh, Mulaney had a dad who repped the president of the United States during a trial or during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Like apparently his dad like is like a big wig lawyer and he was was, like within like the apparatus of the D.C. establishment. So, I mean... It's interesting to see like the dichot- like the stark juxtaposition between those two comedians and just their upbringings in general. It's kind of hilarious uh, to see like how two individuals from two different economic backgrounds can sort of be in the same profession. That's why I like stand-up comedy. Uh, but anyways, uh, I think that about wraps it up with this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you go on the YouTube channel and watch me i have a video feed on the youtube channel if you just type in aj tucker podcast it's right there for a search result uh make sure you like and subscribe and also click the bell icon so you can see notifications down uh for future episodes and with that it comes to the end of the number another episode of the aj tucker podcast guys thank you so much for listening thank you so much for tuning in i'll see you guys on tuesday enjoy your weekend uh ignore the bookings and we'll talk about the italian open final and the matches that will that will and have at by tuesday transpire uh around the italian open as well so guys thank you so much i'll see you all on tuesday all right guys peace see y'all